Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Impolite Company. I'm your host, Scott Wingeter. Today, I'd like to discuss something that's near and dear to my heart as a professional educator, and that's Senate Bill 8 in the 88th Legislature. All right, so this bill was uh, basically brought forth by Senator State Senator Brandon Crichton of uh, Senate District 4 here in Montgomery County, uh, and he chairs the Education uh, sub. Uh, I'm sorry, the Education Committee in the Texas State Senate. Um, so... This bill is um, basically has two articles, uh, two sections, if you will. And the first one, the first section deals with just, it's called the Parents' Bill of Rights. Uh, and there's a whole slew of different uh, things that it addresses in there, and we'll get into that here in a second. And then the second article or section, if you will, uh, deals with uh, basically the idea of school choice via an education savings account. And so there's a lot of controversies in particular in the second article that I want to dive into and talk about and, and um, just put this out there for you and, and go over it. All right. So the, let's deal with the first article. So if you have paid any attention at all on what's going on, particularly I would uh, point you to the uh, Virginia governor's race uh, a couple years ago um, and you see how big of an issue education has become. And in particular, in public schools around the country, uh, issues like, you know, transgender um, issues, like whether or not a school has to tell the parents at home if, you know, little Johnny wants to be called Susie at school instead, uh, you know, or hiding a, a kid's sexual identity or um, their sexual preference or anything like that. Um, we have drag shows in libraries. We have a whole bunch of objectionable materials in not just the classroom itself, but in pu public school libraries as well. And it's all about sexualizing our kids, all right? Talking about inappropriate things, sexual education, uh, transgender issues, the the whole works, right? It's just a, it's, I feel like we're getting attacked on all fronts, right? And what uh, this says here in SB8 is that a parent doesn't have to put up with this, all right? You have a choice, all right? That you a parent has a, a, a right to know what the school is talking about in the classroom or from a third party or what materials are present inside of a classroom. Let's say, like I in my classrooms, I always have books, right? I have not just the, the textbook, but I have other books as well, you know, that can augment a student's uh, education, okay? So let's say they're in my classroom and they're taking a test and they finish their test early and they're like, I'm done with my test. What can I do? I'm like, we'll grab a book off the shelf, right? Now, I don't have all of these weird, disgusting, perverse, nonsense, uh, sexualizing our children kind of books in my classroom, but other teachers do. Um, and so what is one of the elements that SB8 uh, looks at is getting rid of that stuff, making sure that you have to have uh, appropriate materials. Like, you know, I have, a, for example, David McCullough's 1776, all right? So that's fine because I'm a history teacher, all right? But I'm not going to have, you know, a book where, you know, that 
explores that, you know, Susie's really attracted to her friend Jennifer uh, in my classroom. I'm not going to have that. We're also going to make sure under SB8 that that kind of crap isn't in a school library either. And that if it becomes uh, known to the to the school district that that kind of crap is in a school library, because that happens, right? I mean, publishers just send books to school libraries and eventually something is going to slip through the cracks, even if you have a conservative or non-woke school librarian that doesn't want that garbage in their library. Uh, it, it's probably something's going to slip through the cracks, right, and get on the shelf. Well, if you find that and you bring that to their attention under SBA, we're, we're going to be able to get that book off the shelf, right? So we're empowering parents to take a more powerful uh, seat at the table in uh, their students' own education. And that's part of the Parents' Bill of Rights. On top of the, that, you also have uh, the school district has to, under SB 8, if it's passed and signed by the governor in its current form, uh, build a what's called a parent um, uh, profile or a, uh, a place where they can go online and they can see, okay, this is what's in the lesson plan for history class today. This is the materials that they're going to be using for their lesson plan today. Um, and, you know, this is what I can expect my child to come home and say that this is what they learned today, right? Um, and so you're going to have that parent portal, it's called, uh, and parents are going to have access to everything that their child is learning about in the public school. Uh, that's That's also part of the bill. So... Uh, overall, uh, it's, I mean, there's a lot of, it's, the bill itself is, I think, 53 pages as it, in its current form. So, I mean, I, I could sit here all day and long and read it, but, you know, I'd probably put you all to sleep if I did that. So, overall, our, everyone that I've talked to, everybody that I've seen, we're overall happy with what Article 1 says. It's taking a lot of great steps uh, in order to back up the parent, to give the parent, uh, you know, rights. Um, for, for example, this is, this will just give you a kind of taste here. Section 26.001, education code is amended to read family code. A parent has the right to direct the moral and religious training of a parent's child, make decisions concerning the child's education, and consent to medical, psychiatric, and psychological treatment of the child without obstruction or interference from this state, any political subdivision of the state, a school district, or open enrollment charter school, or any other governmental entity. So, when you if you think about it like this, you know you have some trans, some kid who says, "Well, I'm a boy, but yeah, I think I'm actually a girl." All right? That's a psychological issue. The school district has no damn right whatsoever to weigh in on that at all that is something that is very clearly within the purview of the parent and the school district needs to back the hell off now according to the the bill and i think you know probably everybody in this audience would agree with that all right so the more controversial aspect of this bill comes in article two and this is where i want to spend the rest of my time here um and it's over education savings account and basically what amounts to school choice. Um, now, on principle, 
I, just so everyone knows where I stand on this, I'm a huge proponent of school choice. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go on the record and saying, like, I don't think that this bill goes far enough. And basically, if, if it were up to me, if I had a magic wand, if I could just wave it and, you know, be tyrant for the day, I would just absolutely, utterly destroy the public school system in, you know, not just Texas, but America, because I think it's trash and it's garbage and it's thrown out. It's absolutely disgusting and it, I hate it. Um, I think we can do way, way, way better of a job ourselves and we shouldn't be putting this in the hands of government, period. All right. Um, but we run into problems there. So number one, I'm not a dictator. I can't do that. Number two, I don't have a magic wand, although I wish I may have, maybe I wish I did, but I don't. Right. Um, and, um, so I think that, that, that SB eight is taking a step in the right direction here in regards to school choice. And the reason I say that is because what, you know, I used to work in Aldine. All right. Uh, down here, and for those of you maybe outside of the Houston area that watch me, Aldine ISD Independent School District is a school district that's an inner city uh, Houston school district. Um, and I worked at the alternative school there, which means that basically I got all the, quote, bad apples. All the kids that got in fights or maybe they sold drugs at school or they were caught having sex at school. A whole bunch of stuff, right? So if they got in trouble, they came to me, all right? I was... The repository. I was the only eighth grade U.S. history teacher at this school. So every single eighth grader in the district, it doesn't matter what school they came from, if they came to our alternative school because they got in trouble, they were in my class. All right. So I see the problems that are going on here. All right. And I really think that a, a proper education is just indispensable here for these kids. And I have a huge heart for these kids. Um, you know, you have a whole bunch of issues that are, that are going on here. You know, many of them come from homes where maybe dad's not there, right? You know, they come from homes that only, maybe they only have a single mom or in some cases just a grandma who's raising these kids. Um, they're impoverished. They have lots and lots and lots of strikes against them that make coming up in an education program difficult to achieve. Um, if they ever wanted to try to get out of the public school system and get into, say, a private school or a charter school, these these kids have, they can't afford it. Nobody can afford to pay, you know, the $20,000 in tuition that is going to cost them to go to a private school where they can get a, a good quality education, all right? And I hate to say it, you know, I love the people that I used to work with down in Aldine, uh, but, you know, the proof's in the pudding, right? Go look at, you can go online to the TA website and look at, you know, some of these schools with that are within Aldine. Well, what are the report card grades? All right. These kids are failing over and over and over and over again. We have failing schools. All right. And that's maybe it's not the teacher's fault. Maybe it's the kid's fault. Maybe it's not the kid's fault. Maybe it's some of the teacher's fault or a combination of a whole bunch of things, whatever the reason is. All right. These schools are failing, which means the kids aren't actually getting educated. And that is a fact. All right. So, I'm a huge proponent of not just private education and education savings accounts and school choice, but 
of classical education. Um, I, this is before my time here in here uh, in in the Houston, Texas region. But my understanding is that the blue bastion that is now Harris County, once upon a time, used to vote red. Well, if we want to get into these urban areas and into these people's houses and and start reaching out to these people that live in these democratic strongholds these these bastions uh and uh, let me digress down a different rabbit trail here real quick i can tell you from experience these people that live here um in these urban environments are primarily conservative. They're just as conservative as you and I, right? They go to church on Sunday. They go to the youth group on Wednesday. Uh, they have conservative values and traditions and beliefs, right? No, really no different than you and I. Um, they're very conservative. They just vote Democrat. And for the life of me, I don't understand it, but that's what they do. So, by giving them access to a classical liberal education, I really think that you can unlock the minds of some of these kids that are trapped in this failing system. And then, my God, you look out. You couldn't imagine what that could do. How many, how many Da Vinci's, how many Einstein's, how many just brilliant people are like getting left behind, falling through the cracks of the American education system in these urban areas in particular. Uh, I, I, I don't know, but I bet you there's a lot of them. And I think that by freeing up the way that we fund education is the best method forward for us as a civil body politic in order to regain some of the traditional Americanism that we had once upon a time. So I want to take time here to unpack that idea and go over sort of the history of education in America in, in a very quick and brief uh, fashion. So this is not going to be a dissertation by any stretch of the imagination, but it, I think it will suffice for our discussion today. Okay, so when America was founded... It was very sectional, right? You had uh, the New England colonies. You had sort of the middle colonies like New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, right? And then you had the southern colonies, Maryland, Virginia, um, North South Carolina, Georgia, okay? Um, and education varied, uh, depended upon the area. So what... It would eventually become the public school general accepted version of education in America came from uh, the New England schools, right? Those kind of school systems that we saw in New England. Um, New England, of course, being founded by Puritans from uh, England, from the east of England. Uh, they were classically educated uh, if they went all the way through college these people would have been classically educated when they came over on the mayflower and then in 1630 when they founded boston these people would have come from cambridge university all right so it was very puritan in its ideology and its uh 
pedagogy and how they educated people. And the idea here was we have to teach these kids how to read. All right. And the reason that they had to be able to read was because they were very Calvinist in their uh, upbringing and the theological views. And they wanted to make sure that their kids could read and understand the Bible themselves. All right. This is opposite of the way that the church was operating during the medieval era. All right. Under Catholicism, all throughout Europe, during the medieval era, prior to the Protestant Reformation, the Bible was literally changed down to the pulpit um, so that only the priests, the educated people, were able to read it in Latin, right? Um, Because, God forbid, one of the laity gets a hold of the Bible and they were able to read it and misinterpret it, right? That's the, the Catholic argument from the medieval era. Strike that stark difference between that and the way that the Puritans believed. So that right away, the Puritans start this, and you might have heard this from old school education, right? You had your three R's, your reading, writing, and arithmetic, right? Those were the the basics that every kid in New England uh, was fed uh, in their public education system right and so what these villages and towns in new england would do is they would get together they would form a school board made up of the parents that lived there and the parents would hire a private tutor to come in and they would you know pay that person to educate their children for them um, so that they could go out and work the field and do whatever it is, job that they had, task, whatever, all right? So they would send their kids to the public schoolhouse in the town. The kids would get educated by the private tutor there that was paid for by the parents out of the parents' own pocket, um, and that that's how it started. Now, in, but fast forward to the 1830s, you have this guy named Horace Mann. He's from Massachusetts. He's riding around, and he wants to set up uh, Massachusetts's first public school system. Uh, and he based of uh, this off of uh, what he read about about the Prussian. That's you know Germany um, during the time period. And there were two forms of schools in, in the Prussian system at the time. There was the classically educated uh, kids, and there was the you're dumb as a box of rocks kids, all right? So if you were the classically educated kids, it's it's because you showed some form of promise. It was a meritocracy. You were smart. You were brilliant. You thought they thought that you could do great things. So you're going to get the classical education. And, you know, the other kids, you know, oh, you're dumb as a box of rocks, but hey, that's okay. You can work in a factory. And so that's where you get all these things like you have to sit down. You have to, you know, stand up. Oh, the bell rang. Go to the next station. Go to the next class. They were just conditioning these kids and training them to be useful to work in a factory because the Industrial Revolution was taking off. And so Horace Mann thought that that was a really great idea. And so he, uh, replicated that and basically spread that throughout all of Massachusetts. And he standardized the public education system in Massachusetts for that. And so you still had the classically educated kids um, in in the public school system in Massachusetts. And that that basically was the model for all public schools throughout the United States at the time. Or if you were to get a tutor, you were going to get schooled in the classics. So you're going to... 
grow up reading the Iliad, the Odyssey, the Aeneid. You're going to read, you know, Augustine. You're going to read Thomas Aquinas. You're going to read uh, Nick, you know, Machiavelli if you're interested in politics. You're going to read all the old great books of the Western world. Like that, that is the basis for your education, okay, growing up. Um, and that was the basis of every kid in America's education growing up. Um, and it was wildly effective. In fact, if you look at the uh, literacy rates, just the literacy rates, who can read, who can write uh, during the Civil War? Uh, the Civil War, this is a fun fact, uh, you know, the Civil War is the most well-documented historical event in all of human history. And why is that? Well, all right, not only do we have the letters from, you know, the, the, the generals, Grant and Lee and Abraham Lincoln writing and, you know, all the well-known characters, but you have normal schmucks, everyday, normal individuals, people like you, people like me, that are writing home. And there is no uh, censoring of this material like you would see in later wars, like World War II, like, you had the army, the Department of the Army was making sure that people weren't writing down in case their letters were intercepted. You know, loose lips sink ships type of stuff, right? None of that happened during the Civil War. So you could write whatever you wanted back home to your, and during your, you know, personal private uh, letters home, okay? And so we have all of these common soldiers writing home talking about these events that are taking place. And so 98%, 98%, 98% of the Union soldiers in the North were literate during the Civil War. And 89% of the South were literate. So you had this huge literacy rate. Now, do we have anything near that today, even though we have universal public school in every state in America? No, our literacy rate can't, doesn't even begin to approach that. Why? Well, because number one, we're educating people poorly. Uh, I'll get to that in a minute. Going forward, after, once we get to around the turn of the century, the 20th century, from the 19th to the 20th century, so into the 1900s, the education system in America starts to get dismantled, all right? And you have these progressives, people like John Dewey, boo, hiss. I hate saying that name. It makes me, turns my stomach. It ugh, makes me want to throw up. Hold on, I'm going to throw up here in a second. I said John Dewey, boo, hiss. <laughs> all right, sorry, I had to get that out. All right, I hate John Dewey. Why? Because he ruined the premier education system in America. Um, when you look around and you see, you know, everybody agrees that our education system in America, regardless of what state you're in, is just utterly failing. Why? Well, because John Dewey came in and don't you know it? He's an expert. Oh yeah, he's an expert. So he's going to put on his expert hat and he's going to fix this education system. I wasn't sure that the education system needs, it definitely needs fixed. And he's an expert. He's the guy to do it. Don't you know? Yeah, now, John Dewey ruined public education in America, all right? And what did we do? Prior to John Dewey's one-size-fits-all approach to education, uh, education was pretty much financed by the people of the local town, all right? It was locally funded. You had 
maybe, you know, the vast majority of the, the dollars that came into funding public schools came from the local people themselves. And then you had some state money and the smallest aspect of education funding uh, came from federal dollars. Very, very, very little. That's been turned on its head now. We have the U.S. Department of Education. It's a whole freaking department, which is totally unnecessary and should be dismantled immediately. Uh, but I digress. Anyway, you have a problem with the education system in America because we're trying to take something that should be sectionalized to fit the individual needs of a particular community and you're trying to nationalize it. And that's a problem. And so what do I think a good solution is? Private education, all right? Now, I do have to give a, t- a hat tip here to Marianne Jackson, who is a member of the Mama Bears Rising. Uh, she p- posted this on the Mama Bears Rising uh, Facebook page here. Uh, and I'm going to read this here. And it's very good. Knowing the history of homeschooling in Texas is essential to understanding the objections of the homeschool community when it comes to our protections and classifications as a private school. In 1915, the Texas state legislature passed compulsory attendance law, which basically said that unless a child of a certain age attends a private school, they must attend public school. And that was a very progressive thing to do. Nationwide, that happened all over the place, right? So the progressives were like rolling up their sleeves over, we're going to fix everything, right? And they so they make attending a public school compulsory. All right. Um, from that point, several decades after this law passed, homeschoolers were treated as private schoolers and were not subject to compulsory attendance law. Then in 1981, a bureaucrat from the TEA made a ruling that homeschools were not private schoolers and were therefore subject to con- the compulsory attendance law. And this is where we're going to get into a lot of heated debate over this bill, SBA, okay? I'll bring this back uh, here out of our history lesson, all right? You have a lot of people that are against this bill because they're homeschoolers, right? And I'm a homeschooler myself. I'm a homeschool dad. I, my kids are homeschooled, all right? I'm the headmaster of a private school that is a homeschool-private school hybrid. So don't misunderstand me. I'm very much in favor of private school. And of homeschools. And I very much agree with this, th- these um, parts that, that Ms. Jackson here is bringing up. Um, I'm for homeschooling, all right? This ruling was not a law passed by the legislature. It was one of the stupid bureaucracies that decided that this is how it was going to be. You know, the unelected bureaucracies that we all hate? Right, like the TEA. And yet the effects of it were extensive, egregious, and long-lasting. Families were persecuted and jailed, threatened with truancy charges by their local school districts that were abiding by this ruling because those local school districts want that money, baby! So, when a group of parents from the Arlington area got together to sue their school district, their case became known as Leaper v. Arlington ISD. Uh, and this happened in 1994, 
And basically, it reversed the ruling of the TAA and the Texas Supreme Court relied on the historical precedent of homeschoolers being treated as private schoolers and on the fact that there were no laws or definitions of homeschooling passed by the Texas legislature at that time. And this is key. And she's right in pointing this out, all right? So for the 13 years the Texas homeschooling parents suffered while trying to exercise their God-given right, the legislature did not come to their rescue. And almost 30 years later, Texas homeschooling parents must still be vigilant about the possibility of new regulations by unelected bureaucrats or persecution coming from not just the legislature, but from the bureaucrats and agencies that they believe they are regulating for your own good, right? One of the main problems in SB8, as I see it right now, and remember, this is a bill. It's just a bill, and it, we can add amendments to this bill to change some of the wording. And Senator Crichton, I would encourage you to listen to this, is you're defining in the bill homeschoolers and you're separating them from private schools all right so i really agree with her here she she's offering amendments in to to sba that says this um that basically you should not separate homeschoolers and private schools because homeschools are private schools. The name of my homeschool is Libertas Academy, okay? Meaning from the Latin, liberty, okay? So it, it's my homeschool. It, it, you know, where's my homeschool? It's around my kitchen table, right? It's my private school. I'm the principal of my own private school. My kids, when they graduate, their diploma is going to say that they graduated from my private homeschool, all right? You, if, what the problem with SB8 is right now is that it differentiates for the first time in the legislative history in the state of Texas the difference between a homeschooler and a private schooler, whereas all legislation about private schoolers and homeschoolers previously has just stated that homeschoolers are, in essence, private schoolers that they attend a private school. It can be around their kitchen table, but it's a private school. SB8 has to, it must, if it's going to pass and get support from the grassroots, it has to pay attention to that difference and it needs to be amended. Um, now, should, I, should it be amended? Yeah, I think it should to reflect that. And by that, I hope it passes. Because I really very much want, uh, it's $8,000 a year that is going to go to some of these kids, uh, starting with the kids that are, come from failing schools. So we're turning over the money to the comptroller, and as the money depletes from that account, it's, always, it's up for grabs first for the kids that are stuck in these failing school districts like HISD that was just taken over by the state uh, for them to have access to private education and I think that's, that's a great thing um, they get $8,000 a year paid out quarterly but it has to be to you know there are certain other things and requirements that I'm not going to go into for the sake of time um, but it's, it, I think it's important 
that we do that, that the money starts following these kids instead of, you know, a dump truck basically backing up to the, and filling the coffers of these independent school districts, which are terrible and are failing. They're just abject failures. The, the school board should be ashamed of themselves for running that dismal of a, of a school district. Um, so uh, basically what comes down to this, whichever camp you happen to fall in, whether you're for SBA on principle like I am, or if you're absolutely against it because you fear you know, that it's going to destroy homeschooling forever in the state of Texas. Uh, whatever, whatever camp you happen to be in, I'm, I'm not going to tell you how to think, right? That's your job. You're an individual. I, I hold the individual as sacred. Like, you can think what you want about a certain topic, and you're an intelligent thinking person who, you know, especially if you're watching this kind of show. Um, but you have to agree that there's no debate here that our schools are absolutely failing, all right? And something needs to be done about it. What we have here is an opportunity to fix it. And we need to come together and not just view each other as like, you know, homeschoolers out there that are just absolutely terrified that, you know, the government's going to come in and destroy homeschooling forever. Don't look at don't look at somebody like me that's still ideologically a proponent of this bill as your just abject absolute enemy i'm not i want to work together with you guys in order to craft something uh, into a piece of legislation here that would be something that you can sign off on what sort of protections can we put into this legislation that would forever protect homeschooling in the homeschooling community you know that's what i want to hear about um you know, leave a comment in this section here if you have any ideas. Um, and I can get this to Senator Crichton's office. Um, call Senator Crichton. Tell him how you would like this bill to be amended. I'm sure he'd be open to hearing your, your commentary. Um, I want to leave you with this quote from Jefferson. He says, quote, I know of no safe depository of the ultimate powers of the society but the people themselves. If we think them not enlightened enough to exercise their control with a wholesome direction, or I'm sorry, wholesome discretion, the remedy is not to take it from them, but to inform their discretion. I really think that education is the key here of getting back to, it's a huge slice of the pie at least, of getting back to our fundamental founding ideals here and embracing Americanism. And I think that school choice and these education savings accounts can be a vehicle that drives us towards that overall goal of saving our republic. It's worth this conversation. It's worth having, right? And, and yeah, have a debate. Have an honest debate. And bring up, but work together for the common good here of these kids and for our own future, right? Our schools are failing. And for whatever reason, the Republican Party and those on the right have oftentimes seeded education as, oh, well, that's one of those issues that just belongs to the left. Well, it doesn't need to be, right? I think it's time that the issue of education becomes an important part of the Republican Party platform and that we anchor that education uh, topic with the principles of liberty and virtue and the pursuit of happiness uh, for the good life of our students 
and for our, our kids and our future and therefore our republic. So I would encourage us to have this conversation and see what good that we could churn out. Remember, we the people run this state. So let's work together on making sure that we rip the control of our future from the hands of these unelected, disgusting bureaucrats and put it in the hands of parents the way that it's intended to be, the way that it was for, you know, the vast majority of our history. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Impolite Company, presented by The Doc Line. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate our podcast and leave a five-star review for us.